In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a very well-known story. Even if you haven't been around church for a long time, chances are you've heard the Annunciation story, the story of Gabriel telling Mary that she's going to give birth to a son. This is a magical story. By magical, I don't mean it's not true. It's historically verifiable. By magical, I mean it's an astounding story. We have an angel. We have an obscure virgin girl. We have this stunning announcement. This is the stuff that stories are made of. All we need now is an elf and we're good to go, right? We've got all the magical characters except for that one. One of the common phrases we hear each year around Christmas is the Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit. What does that mean? You know, that can mean overly sentimental fluff, to be honest. But it can also speak to something, I think, that's really deeply true of each one of us. And that's this. We all long for what stories about magic and adventure offer. What do those stories offer? They offer hope. They offer hope in a world full of evil. They offer hope that all will be well in the ends. One of my favorite authors is a woman named Fleming Rutledge, and she's written about Advent. And in one of the reflections she writes about the Advent season, she talks about taking her nieces to see the Nutcracker every year at the Lincoln Center where she lives in Manhattan. Even though she knows the story so well, she loves to go. And she writes this, listen, Christmas magic, what is it? Not so much about Christmas trees that grow and snowflakes that dance, though that is an important part of the aura. No, the moment in the ballet that makes this grown woman choke up year after year is the part where evil is defeated conclusively and forever. The part where the little boy and little girl holding hands begin their magical journey through the enchanted forest together, unafraid, the danger over and past, the phantoms banished, led and protected by a splendidly luminous star into a kingdom of joy and delight where no disappointment can ever enter. Doesn't that pull at your affections? We're all waiting, really. We're all waiting on something that grand, and that beautiful. 
And the beauty and the glory of the story we look at this fourth Sunday of Advent is that the real story of the world is, in fact, that beautiful. Everything sad really is going to come untrue, as Tolkien famously put it. This is the final Sunday of Advent. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. We're almost there. And to be honest with you, it's really hard to do a four-week series on waiting. Because I get tired of it. I get tired of waiting. Um, It's hard. And that, I guess, is the point. But our waiting is almost over. We're almost ready to celebrate the arrival of baby Jesus. And yet we still wait. We wait on the return of the king, right? We live every hour of every day in the middle of this tension. This tension of what Jesus has already accomplished in his first coming and the not yet of what he will accomplish in his second coming. And so in this middle time, in this tension, what can this famous story teach us? What good news is there for us in the middle of our waiting I want to attempt to get at that idea this morning uh, by looking at four of the characters in this story that Luke tells us. What can we see about the truth of the gospel, about the truth of this world, about the truth of your own lives via this story? Let's look at Gabriel, Mary, David, and David's son. There's the outline. Gabriel, Mary, David, David's son. First, Gabriel. One of the magical things about this story is that there's an angel. Gabriel appears in verse 26 out of nowhere. Now, what is an angel? Well, an angel literally is a messenger, a messenger of God. They're the servants of the Lord. And we don't know much about angels, but we do know that Gabriel is probably one of the two most important, along with the angel Michael. So what can Gabriel's appearance teach us? Well, for one, Any time in the story of the Bible an angel appears, the angel brings with it some sense of the power and presence of God himself. An angel always brings with it some sense of the power and presence of God. There's been a lot of stories about angels over the years. You might remember if you're around my age in the 90s, there was a TV show called Touched by an Angel. And uh, that is not what angels are like. I hate to break it to you. If you email me later and say, Touched by the Angel by Angels, my favorite show ever, I'm sorry now. It's kind of sentimental and, and fluffy, like we talked about earlier. Not really a good depiction of angels. Frank Peretti's books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, if you've read those, those are better examples because the angels in his books are scary. The angels in his books are frightening. They're powerful. And that reflects what happens when we see angels appear in the stories in the Bible. What's the first thing that an angel always says? Don't be afraid. And there's a reason that the author of Hebrews warns us against worshiping angels. Angels bring with them a sense of the power and presence of God himself. And so an angel appearing in this story to the Virgin Mary hints at the reality of the human situation. That's what Gabriel's coming tells us. And here's the reality. We cannot deliver ourselves from the cloud of judgment that we are under. We need help from the outside that is powerful. That's one thing Gabriel's appearance teaches us. I also find Gabriel's appearance fascinating from the perspective of the larger story of the Bible. What is the task of the first angel we see in all of the scripture? It's in Genesis 3. You remember? A cherubim 
guards the way back to the tree of life. He bars humans from accessing God and the presence of God in the garden temple of Eden. Interestingly, some intertestamental Jewish literature, books written between the writing of the Old and New Testaments, say that that angel is Gabriel. Now, we don't know that for sure. That's not in the New Testament, but it's definitely a possibility. We see in Genesis 3 an angel barring access, barring the pathway to God due to sin. But here we see an angel, maybe the same angel, announcing that the pathway to God is about to be reopened. We see a magical reversal. Gabriel appears to announce God's reversal of the sin of our ancestors and of our sin. This is a magical story. It's an amazing story. Gabriel's coming is sort of a prelude. It's a prelude to the action of God in the world. Gabriel says that God is about to intervene. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow Mary in the birth of Jesus, verse 35. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow this dark world in the work of Jesus. Gabriel, you see, Gabriel represents a voice from beyond ourselves. A voice quite literally from a different world. Telling us that only God is able to give true and lasting peace. Only God can create a kingdom where no evil and disappointment can ever enter. The announcement is that God himself has entered this world. His own blood is going to be shed, and that blood will guarantee that the fountains of blood we see flow in this world will one day come to an end forever. That's good news. We see Gabriel. Secondly, Mary. This Sunday really belongs to Mary, in a sense, For one, consider Mary's obscurity. She's from Nazareth, verse 26. Nazareth is the definition of a nowhere town. It's like being from Oklahoma, or even worse, College Station. It's a nowhere place that no one would ever admit that they're from. Thank you. That's for you, Connor, as you're back from the holidays. Nazareth is a tiny town. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Apocrypha. It's not mentioned in ancient Jewish historians like Josephus. No one knows anything about Nazareth. And furthermore, Mary was a nobody. She lives in a town like you would pass through on your way out into West Texas that if you blink for too long and open your eyes again, you've already missed the town. And Mary is this obscure virgin girl almost certainly between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. Almost certainly illiterate, as most young teenagers in first century Palestine would have been. Almost certainly a bystander in the greater playing of her city, much less the Roman Empire. She was one of, the young women's, one of the young women in the village, and therefore she was undoubtedly poor. She lived in a town of probably 100 to 200 people. And then what happens to her, to her out of nowhere? Boom! Gabriel, an archangel, appears with the most important announcement. In the history of the world, verse 32 and 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Listen, listen. The economy of God is on full display here. The economy of God is on full display here. God does not look for the impressive 
or the powerful or the influential to accomplish his work. God works again and again through the obscure, the weak. God works through the forgotten. Why would God do it that way? Well, one reason is so that no one can attribute the work to anyone but him. God wants to ensure that we understand that he is the one who saves. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 9, salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. Or as Gabriel says, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? God can take barren Elizabeth and give her a son. God can take the virgin Mary and give her a son. God can raise your dead souls to life again. God can take rebels and sinners and self-righteous people like us and change them from the inside out and build a church. God can restore your life. He can remove your guilt. He can transform your marriages. He can break the chains of addiction. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. God can do everything. If God is for us, who can be against us? Mary's obscurity highlights that very point. Secondly, notice Mary's faith. In light of what Gabriel tells her and what she believes, that nothing is impossible with God, she sets really a remarkable example for you and for me. She does ask a question of the angel there in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? That's the million dollar question, right? But that's not a question of unbelief. Zachariah's question earlier in Luke was a question of unbelief. Zachariah said, oh, come on, there's no way that we're going to have a child. Mary's question fits under what some of the ancient church fathers call faith-seeking understanding. This is faith-seeking understanding. That's actually a fair question. (laughs) Not many virgins have babies. Last time I checked and last time Mary checked. She also has got to be wondering, why me, right? I'm nobody. No one even knows the town I'm from. I'm not special. I'm not important. Who am I to raise the king of the universe? But in spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, Mary trusts God. Mary takes God at his word. Verse 38 She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you trust God? Can you take God at his word? When it seems like he's distant. When it seems like he's absent, can you take him at his word? When his promises seem impossible, can you take God at his word? When God's timing does not match your timing, which it almost never does, right? Can you take God at his word? Mary trusted the promise of God. And guess what? God fulfilled it. It made no sense. It was absolutely humanly impossible. It went against everything that she knew and had experienced. But she believed God. And that's what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I read a story this week um, about a home that caught fire and most of the family escaped before the flames got too dangerous except for the young boy in the family. This young boy was forced to flee up to the roof and his dad 
was standing on the ground below with outstretched arms, calling out to his son, jump, you're going to have to jump, I'll catch you. He knew that the boy had to jump to save his life, but all the boy could see was flame and smoke and blackness. And as can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. And his father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. But the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. When in your life, all you see is the proverbial flame and smoke and blackness. The truth is that your father can see you. That's what Mary believed. And that's what Christmas calls you and I to believe as well. We learn from Gabriel. We learn from Mary. Third, we learn from David. Gabriel announces that the child given to Mary will be a son of David, verse 32. And that he will rule on the throne of his father, David. Now, Jesus is a son of David through the line of his earthly dad, Joseph. We read in verse 27 that Joseph is from the house of David. And this teaches us something else very important about the coming of Jesus. It teaches us something about the story of Christianity. What David's mention here teaches us is about grace. It teaches us about grace. We read that Mary has found favor with God. That's the same New Testament Greek word for grace. And the grace of God given to Mary is right in line with the grace of God given to David, Jesus's ancestor. Now, if you know anything about David, you'll know that he was undoubtedly an impressive guy. David was a man's man, and he was also a lady's man. He was handsome. He was glamorous. He was a magnificent politician. He was a master warrior. He was a brilliant musician and poet. He was both a man of action and a man of contemplation at the same time. David is a super impressive guy, but guess what? David's family was a mess. David's family was a train wreck. You can read about David's story in 2 Samuel, a book in the Old Testament. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer, as most of us know. And later in David's life, one of his children, his son Absalom, attempted to usurp the throne from him. And Absalom ended up being killed in battle. And one of the most heart-wrenching lines from the whole Bible is when David hears about Absalom's death in 2 Samuel 18. And he cries out, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. You know, in a way, David's life reminds us of something that's always been true and until Jesus comes back will always be true. Things don't work out the way we want them to. At the heart of human life, there is an incapacity to make things turn out right. And yet, listen, it's just in the middle of the train wreck that is David's family. And the mess that is David's later life. It's in the middle of the deep pain of human life that God speaks a promise to David. 2 Samuel 7, listen. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your child after you, who shall come forth from your body. I will be his father and he shall be my son. I will not take my steadfast love from him. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Can you see the point? Promises were made to David at the low point, at the lowest point of his life. God did not wait for David to get his family all straightened out before he made him this promise. God's unconditional promise came to David in spite of himself, you see. And Jesus coming in the line of David is another way. It's another way that we are reminded by the scripture that God's promise is not dependent upon your goodness or faithfulness. You need to hear that again. God's promise is not dependent upon your goodness. It's not dependent upon your faithfulness. It's dependent upon his goodness. It's dependent upon his faithfulness. That is what the gospel tells you. That's the message of Christmas too. God does not wait for you to break into his presence. That's impossible. God breaks into our lives with deep grace, with abundant grace, giving us what we could never earn and what we don't deserve. God in Jesus brings forgiveness. He brings life. He brings hope. He brings peace. You know, we're always being tempted to believe that the assurance of God's promise rests in some way upon us. We're always being tempted to believe that. But the gospel even announced here to Mary by Gabriel, is that we, like Mary, have found favor with God through Jesus, free of charge. David tells us that when you are at the low points of your life, maybe you're there this morning, when you feel the truth that you cannot make things turn out right, that is just when God announces his intention to show mercy. Can you believe that this morning? Gabriel, Mary, David, last, David's son. Finally, we see David's son, the one who's promised, Jesus himself. And there's a lot we could say about him in these verses. I'm going to, you're welcome, by the way, limit myself to one thing. One thing. Uh, The line that the angel Gabriel says to Mary there in verse 33 of his kingdom, there will be no end. For four weeks, we've been talking about waiting. We spent four weeks considering the idea of waiting on God. The people of God, centuries ago, waited on the first coming of Christ, right? And we now, along with our brothers and sisters around the world, in faith, wait on the second coming of Jesus. We wait in the middle of the darkness of the world. And so I want to conclude just briefly, by considering this statement from Gabriel from the perspective of our present waiting. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, you all need to just think about this. If you've been a Christian for decades, this just flies right by us, but I want you to stop and think. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, of which any of you can be a part if you turn to him in faith, is unending. As the Psalms repeatedly tell us, his love endures forever. Consider that. Whatever struggles you are enduring, whatever hurts you are nursing, whatever pains you're experiencing, whatever darkness you're fighting through, whatever shadows 
your fending off. Whatever evil and sin continue to affect you in this life, whatever grief death brings us, and it will bring us all grief, all of it, all of it is nothing but a momentary blip in the span of our lives in God's eternal kingdom. The story of your life in Christ will be written on into the vastness of God's eternal future. You will break through death. You will break through death and never die again in Christ. You will enter a kingdom one day where there's no sorrow. There's no struggle. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no darkness. There's no shadows. Only the light of God in the glorious face of Jesus Christ. What we are waiting on now, this is the point, what we are waiting on now will be infinitely worth it. No matter how hard it seems, everything you're experiencing now is going to be a snap of the fingers compared to an eternity of knowing and understanding more and more of the depths of the eternal love of God for you in Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul can say, really, death is but an entry point. It's but an entry point into life. C.S. Lewis, one of my great heroes, um, in one of the collections of letters that he wrote to people in America, I came across this week, he wrote a letter to a woman who feared her own death was imminent. And C.S. Lewis wrote this letter five months before his own death. And I want to close by reading you what he says to her. In light of the idea that God's kingdom will have no end. Listen to Lewis. He says to this woman, Can you not see death as a friend and deliverer? What is there to be afraid of? Your sins are confessed and forgiven. Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Our Lord says to you, peace, child, peace, relax, let go. I will catch you. Do you trust me so little? And then he signed his name. And in parenthesis, after his name, Lewis wrote, and like you, a tired traveler near the journey's end. The good news of the gospel and the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born so that you can never die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us in the gospel. Thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from sadness and sorrow. Thank you that through his life and death and resurrection, we can be forgiven. Thank you for the abundant grace that you show to us, just as you showed it to our forefather, David. So God, when we find ourselves in the low moments, when we find ourselves most needy and most broken, that is when you come and announce to us your intentions to save Not in the ways we would expect, not through impressive people, but through obscure, forgotten people. Thank you for the magnificent truths of this story. Will you, Holy Spirit, help them to resonate in our own hearts this morning? We ask these things in your name. Amen. The remainder of our time this morning.